Romans chapter 8, Life through the Spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that his creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But 
If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hi friends, I'm Simon and I teach at St. Paul's Theological College. And it's a real joy to be able to speak to you today along with my SPTC colleagues and friends from Romans 8. And in the first part, I want to talk to us about freedom or what it means to be set free. Romans 8 begins with one of the great statements of the New Testament. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that alone is good news, but it doesn't end there. Paul continues in verse 2 saying, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The context of these amazing words in Paul's letter to the Romans is, well, Rome. Or rather, what happened in Rome in AD 49? In AD 49, the Roman Emperor Claudius evicted all the Jews from the city of Rome. And this included most of the early Christians, who they themselves were Jews. In the years when the Jews were evicted, Christianity continued to grow, but among the Gentiles or the non-Jews. Five years later, in AD 54, Claudius had died and his order was rescinded. And so the Jews returned to Rome. However, these Jewish Christians who returned, they came back to a Christianity that was quite different from the one that they remembered. 
You see, the Jews had these traditions, they had these food laws that they had to follow. They were quite similar to what we Malaysians know as halal food. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they had no such law or tradition. They would eat anything that they would want to eat. As you can imagine, these um, food laws that the Jewish Christians had, they caused some tensions between them and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul wrote to them to address these issues. And we see this in chapter 14 as well as chapter 15. And he urges the Gentile Christians to love their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters despite their differences. We Malaysians, we know what it's like to fight over food. We fight over where to get the best chicken rice, where is the best nasi lemak, or where the best banana leaf is. And although this is most of the time just light ribbing between us, it can get pretty contentious where we debate about whether Pakute came from Malaysia or from Singapore. People can get really riled up over stuff like that. So we Malaysians, as well as Singaporeans, we know what it's like to get riled up or fight over food. If Paul was to write a letter to us today, he might say the same things to us. And despite our differences, Malaysians and Singaporeans ought to love one another. And in the context of Romans, Paul was writing to these Gentile Christians to tell them to love their Jewish brothers and sisters by not abusing their freedom. And so we see in Paul quite a different expression of freedom. Rather than being free in an autonomous sense, to be free to do whatever one desires, freedom in God is to love Him and to love one another. Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so we are set free from one law, the law of sin and death, to another law, the law of the Spirit of life. For Paul, freedom is not autonomy. It is not freedom to do whatever that we want to do, but freedom to love God and to love one another. And this is good news for whoever has ever wrestled with a sense of purpose in their lives. God has a purpose for you and God has a purpose for each and every one of us. I watched a documentary recently of a man who has gone in and out of prison many times. And after his last stint in prison, he was freed but he didn't quite know what to do with himself. So within hours of his freedom, he found himself again at a familiar gas station with a bottle of beer in his hand and started to drink again. And in his own words, he said, it is only a matter of time before I ended up back in prison again. It was quite heartbreaking to see how little freedom meant for this man who had no purpose. And I wonder if any one of you have ever wrestled with a sense of purpose and being like this man who, although he was in one sense free, but not knowing what to do with his freedom. God doesn't set us free from our imprisonment to sin to leave us on our own. God does not say, no condemnation, and then good luck. 
God has set us free for a purpose, to walk with Him and to become like Jesus. Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. An early church father said, Jesus became who we are so that we can become who He is. Jesus became who we are so that we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And the law here refers to uh, God's commandments when, that He gave to uh, Israel when He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. After God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, He gave them His law, His commandments. And these commandments were meant to show the world that they belong to God, that they were God's people, so that they can be a blessing to other nations. But the people of Israel often failed to follow God's law. Because even though they were free from Egypt, they were still slaves to another power, just as all humanity were. We were slaves to sin and death. And Paul says God has done in Jesus what humanity's sinfulness could not do. He broke the power of sin and death by condemning sin, not us, condemning sin in the flesh of Jesus. Jesus became what we are so that we might become who He is. How amazing is that? God became what we are and to do what we could not do so that we might become who He is by the Spirit. And it is really only possible through God's Spirit. Paul says, when we walk according to the Spirit. And I love that Paul uses that word walk to describe the kind of life that we are all invited to live, one of walking closely with God. And as we walk by the Spirit every day with Jesus, his Spirit will help us to choose life over death. And when we choose this life that God has promised, we can experience true peace and true freedom. And my friend Jesse uh, will speak to us about how life looks like when we walk according to the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Simon. Hello, everyone. My name is Jesse. If you haven't met, I'm part of the team here that runs SPTC and it's great to be here today looking at Romans 8 together. Romans 8, as Simon introduced earlier, it's an excellent piece of writing by St. Paul himself. And I love how he explains that the good news of the gospel is so much more than just a ticket to heaven and eternal life. If you had asked me to explain the gospel, my inarticulate self could never explain it in a way that Paul does in Romans 8. But if you had asked Paul instead, he would give you Romans 8. Nothing short of brilliance in exposition and a very persuasive presentation of the gospel. First, Paul sets the stage by telling us what Christ had to do on the cross. And while elaborating on a life lived through the Spirit, Paul tells us, the readers, hey, you've got a part to play in this too. Paul introduces the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Now, when we read about the flesh, it doesn't refer to the body of a human being or even our skin, thick or thin, dark or light, bleached or tan. 
In this context, the Greek word for flesh, sarx, refers to the sinful state of human beings, often presented as a power in opposition to the spirit. It is not just a state of mind that one is in, it is a power that can control us. In other words, when we live according to the flesh and when we are controlled by our sinful nature, sin literally sarks the life out of us. You know, it's important to remember that we human beings, we are born in a sinful state and we have a nature that cannot be seen, but is present, it's real, and it's inside of all of us until the day we die. But as Christians, we have a hope. And as outlined by Paul in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit who gives life has set us free from the power of sin and death. Now, this does not mean that as Christians, we don't we don't have sin in us when we have the Holy Spirit, nor does it mean we don't have to worry about sin anymore. It is still a problem. It will still be a struggle. And it's still a battle, but not one that ends in defeat. Paul says that those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, which means if we are controlled by our sinful nature, we will only do what this nature wants us to do. So what does it look like to have our minds governed by the flesh, to, to live in the realm of the flesh? Well, the flesh brings death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. It cannot please God. It also means we do not have the Spirit of God and we do not belong to Christ. On the contrary, Paul says that those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And how do we know if you are in the realm of the Spirit? Simple. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you are in the realm of the Spirit. And Paul says that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead brings life. With the help of the Spirit, this is a conscious decision, decision that we make in our daily lives. We can choose to wake up each morning and allow God through the Spirit to lead us instead of being controlled by the flesh, by our sinful nature. Now imagine this, the realm of the flesh against the realm of the Spirit, a life lived in sin, controlled by our sinful nature, filled with despair and hopelessness against a life live through the power of the Holy Spirit, freed from the clutches of sin and death, and filled with life-giving joy and peace. It's like a tug of war. You know, back in school, during my time, which is a couple of decades ago now, uh, we used to play tug of war at sports day or Hari Sukan. And it was usually the highlight of the day because they saved the best for last. I'm usually a willing participant because I was fat and big, always pulled into the game, but never able to provide the winning touch. You know, I was a bit puffy up top, chicken legs down below. Unfortunately, not too helpful. It was like needing a 94th minute injury time winner for a cup final and the coach decides to bring in Humpty Dumpty and you know what happens next. And just like the tug of war, the realm of the flesh is always at odds with the realm of the spirit. Imagine your very core being tied to a rope and before you had Jesus, you were always being pulled to one side by the flesh, by your sinful nature to do what it wants to do opposed to God and everything good. But now, because of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you get to pull your core to the other side. Your flesh, your sinful nature is always going to be there battling for your attention. But you now have the upper hand because your mind is now governed and submits to the Holy Spirit. You know, we move from death to life, from despair to hope, from chaos to peace and from living in sin to living in freedom. And Paul continues by saying, we have an obligation now not to the flesh, not to the sinful nature that we were born in, but to the spirit through whom we put our sinful nature to death. We are no longer controlled by what our sinful nature wants us to do, but we are now led by the life-giving spirit of God who leads us to righteousness 
and a life renewed by faith in Christ. So how do we, as Paul says, put to death the misdeeds of the body? Easy, we don't have to do it alone. Our battle against the flesh is one that we, quite frankly, don't have to lose. And this is good news. We have the Holy Spirit who fights this battle for us, helping us put to death the misdeeds of the body. And finally, this is not a battle that we fight with weapons or human strength or even a strong willpower. To fight this battle, we first have to surrender. Now, while it does seem like an absolutely rubbish strategy going into battle, our posture of surrender is not one to the enemy. This is us simply saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own, but I know I have victory over my sinful nature and over the flesh because of what you have done for me on the cross. Now, surrender in this context doesn't mean we are weak or that we are losing. I like to think of it this way. You know, when I was a child, anytime I needed help, I would look for my mother. I was confident and I had this assurance that my mother will not turn me away but will give me the help that I need. And this is the same in our walk with Jesus. We have this hope that is rooted in God's love, called to be His children and adopted into His family. In fact, we read about this in verse 14 that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is good news because Paul says that the Spirit of God doesn't make us slaves to sin, bound by fear of death and in a losing battle to the flesh. The Spirit instead calls us into a new life as sons and daughters of God. We are called into God's family, restored into a right relationship with the Father through the work of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing promise this is. It's not a one-sided pull in this tug of war anymore. In fact, we have the power to reclaim our identity and calling as children of God. We are no longer slaves to our sinful flesh, pulled apart by sinful desires and separated from God. We are now children of God, adopted into His family along with many other believers and called to bring light to a world filled with darkness. Amen? Now that we've heard about this assurance that we have as children of God and how we have an upper hand over our sinful nature, let's hear from Charlotte about how the Holy Spirit gives us a hope for the future even in the midst of suffering. Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte, wife to Elvin and mom to my 10-month-old son, Kai. So we've just heard from Simon about freedom and from Jesse about assurance. They all sounded really good. But the reality is that the world we're living in has fallen. This means that there will be suffering and challenges from time to time. Sometimes even suffering that is so hard to comprehend and seems hopeless. Not long ago, a friend of mine collapsed while she was driving. She was just 28 years old then. When she woke up, she had tubes all over her. Her hair was gone and she couldn't feel the left side of her body. The doctor told her that she had a stroke. He explained that she had this malformation in a brain artery and that artery has ruptured. And he explained that she was born this way and there was no scientific explanation to this condition so far. He had also mentioned that her left side of her body could be permanently damaged or that her road to recovery is going to be a long and a tough one. She asked herself, why did this happen? Why did this happen to a 28-year-old girl like her? Is there still hope for her? Many times, suffering happens and we don't know why. From time to time, we see people around us suffer, maybe from a health condition, from cancer, from a relational tension, or even from work stresses. Well, sometimes it isn't other people, but it is us, ourselves. We are going through these sufferings. The fact is that the world has fallen. So while we're in it, how do we then live victoriously from the sufferings that we face? 
Similarly, in our passage today, the Roman Christians were also going through various sufferings. Just now, Simon mentioned about the internal relational struggles between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians, while externally, they were also going through intense persecution under Emperor Nero. Due to their faith, they were being crucified upside down and being turned into human candles for Nero's garden. The Roman Christians were also living in this fallen world. How then did they live victoriously from the sufferings that they faced? The answer to that lies in the final part of our Romans chapter 8. In verse 18, Apostle Paul encourages the Roman Christians with these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He is saying that though we are suffering right now, but we can still have hope, for the Spirit can give us hope from our situation and hope from our own weaknesses. And our first point, hope from our situation. In verse 20 and 21 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What it is saying here is that though all creation go through frustration and suffering right now. All of creation, it means that includes us, human beings. Though we go through frustration and suffering right now, we can still have hope that one day, we will all be set free from all these bondages. And this freedom isn't something that we can only experience at the end of days when Jesus comes again. In fact, today, we can already experience glimpses of this freedom. Whenever the kingdom of God is revealed on earth through God's children, whenever the kingdom of God is revealed on earth through you and through me, we will already experience glimpses of this freedom and glory. And that is why today we can already see people being set free from addiction, people getting healed from illnesses, people being delivered from impossible situations, and so on. Because the Spirit gives us hope in our suffering. It gives us hope from our situations. Furthermore, when we live in the realm of the Spirit, we also know that even if our situation is still unresolved right now, even if it is still frustrating, even if it is still painful right now, we know that one day, these sufferings will all be over. One day we will truly be set free. For there is hope at the end of this suffering. There is glory at the end of the day. However, sometimes, sometimes the thing that frustrates us and makes us suffer, it isn't other people, it isn't the situation either, but it is ourselves. Apostle Paul said, sometimes we do the things we don't want to do. The things we want to do, we don't do. Sometimes it is my own weaknesses, my own insecurity that makes me suffer rather than the situation or rather than other people. And when I think back on some, some of the things that I've said, some of the things that I've done in the past, I get chills and I wonder, how can I be set free from that? And the good news is that when we live in the realm of the Spirit, not only does the Spirit give us hope from our situation, it also gives us hope from our own weaknesses. And that's our second point. The Spirit gives us hope from our weaknesses. Verse 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
When we suffer because of our own weaknesses, the Spirit can intercede for us. When we don't know how to even pray about it, the Spirit prays for us through wordless groans and it prays for us according to God's will. Besides that, in verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That means that the Spirit also helps us overcome our weaknesses by conforming us, by shaping us to be more like Jesus. Coming back to our earlier question, when we live in this fallen world, how do we then live victoriously from the sufferings that we face? The answer is that we live victoriously by holding on to the hope that we have when we live in the Spirit. By the Spirit, we have a present hope and a future hope. We have a present hope from our situations and also a future hope from our own weaknesses. Because what we cannot do, the Spirit can do. What we cannot change, the Spirit can change. And what we have no control over, the Spirit has control over. I wonder today, if you are going through any challenges or suffering right now, are you perhaps currently suffering from a physical illness or maybe a relational tension or maybe even stresses from work situation? What we learned today is that you have freedom for you are now under the law of the Spirit. And you also have assurance for God's Spirit is in you. And lastly, you can also live victoriously because by the Spirit, there is hope from your situation and hope from your own weaknesses. Earlier, I shared about a friend, who, a 28-year-old friend who had suffered a stroke and was paralyzed on her left side. For most people, this would have been a terrible tragedy, especially when it happened so young in her life. But to her, somehow the Spirit of God gave her an immense hope, even while she was in ICU. She had this hope and peace that if her condition was formed from birth, that if it is God who had formed her and designed her that way in her mother's womb, then God must have a great purpose behind this. That night in the ICU itself, she prayed, God, you are the author of my life. I will commit my story into your hands. If you want me to walk again, then I will. But if you have decided that I will be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, then I will obey and accept it too. Because I know that God, you will make me thrive even if I'm going to be in a wheelchair. Long story short, she has completely recovered within a year and she is now walking freely. Not only that, she has also responded to God's call in studying uh, to study the human brains and behavior in hope of helping others with similar experiences in the future. And some of you in the church may know her. She is Crystal, one of our Connect Group leaders here at HTVB. Only the Spirit of the Lord can do such a thing. Only the Spirit can give her hope from her impossible situation and give her hope from her own physical weaknesses. Verse 37 says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That means that whatever our current situation is, whatever our weaknesses are, we can be more than conquerors. We can live victoriously for by the Spirit, we can have hope. And this God who has given us this Spirit 
is for us. He loves us so much that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from this love, from His love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, let us now receive the Spirit, for in the Spirit we have hope, a hope beyond what we could have ever hoped for. Shall we pray? I shall spend this time to say um, to pray the shortest prayer, Come Holy Spirit, and we will spend a little bit of time to wait in silence for the Spirit to speak to us personally. Come, Holy Spirit. I have a sense that perhaps some of us today, as we are watching this sermon, um, maybe we have a kind of internal struggle, maybe a struggle with sin or, or a struggle with a sense of purpose or, or just an internal struggle that you find it hard to live freely, find it hard to live victoriously. There is something oppressing you deep inside. If that is you, I'd like to pray specific prayers over you that come Holy Spirit upon you right now because the Spirit can give you freedom. It can give you a sense of purpose. It can give you hope, whatever it is that you're going through right now. If you have any other prayer requests, you can also scan this QR code right here so that we can continue to pray with you for in the Spirit, we have freedom, we have assurance, and we have hope in God. Shall I lead us into a time of prayer right now? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, your name is great, and your kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray right now, come Holy Spirit, and to our friends who are watching this right now, wherever they are, come Holy Spirit. May this peaceful spirit come upon them and let them know that you are with them. If there is an impossible situation that they are facing right now, that they can rely on you and hold on to the hope that this will come to an end, that you will help them to resolve it and that there is hope in you. There is freedom in you. There is purpose in you. There is assurance in you for we are your beloved children. Lord, we pray that we continue to live with your spirit in us, guiding us to make the decisions that we need to make, guiding us in our conversation, in the things that we do from day to day, bringing us even into our workplace, into our family, into our schools. Guide and lead us. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we now continue to pray as we continue to worship? <laughs> 